This podcast is recorded on Gadigal land. We acknowledge the traditional custodians of the lands on which we live and work and pay our respects to the elders past and present. Sovereignty has never been ceded. It always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Welcome to the Homeless and Dill podcast. My name is Hala Abdelnour. And I'm Rob Caldor. Now, this is our third episode of the podcast series Homeless and Dill. It's a series of chats between the two of us. And listen to episode one, you'll find out we met in quite interesting circumstances, Hala. We're doing these podcasts because we think it's important to model positive discussions, non-toxic interactions in this period of high levels of stress, especially in the Middle East. This is our third episode of Homeless and Deal. If you missed the first two episodes, we do recommend you go back and have a listen. Look up Homeless and Deal on your favourite podcast channel, Apple or Spotify, and just check it out. We've received so much feedback so far about first two episodes, and we've decided to make a fourth episode based around our reactions, what we've learned so far, and how we've been impacted by this process. Been blown away by the feedback. It's been really interesting, and we won't give away too much now, but it's some's positive, some's negative, and a lot of it's surprising. Would you agree? Oh, absolutely. It's just been uh, a huge part of this process for me and, and what I've learned and really appreciate everyone who's taken the time to listen so far and to give us the feedback. If you do like what you hear in these episodes, please let other people know about it, share it widely. And as we said, we hope that listening to this podcast will encourage you to reach out to people that you might not agree with and have a chat. Bahala, a bit of a warning about this episode. It does get quite emotional. Yes, it does. And I think it's inevitable that as we, you and I talk on, on and offline, we've had some emotional moments. And I think it was also the timing of, of, of this episode is quite uh, significant. And I think how long this issue has continued has, has resulted in everyone's emotions being heightened. I guess the main thing from these episodes is also to note that we both do carry a lot of emotions around this conversation and at the same time we've held true to remaining respectful to each other in our chats and we hope the same for listeners out there who might be having these conversations. They're real chats, there's nothing scripted about the chats that we're having. It's natural and we are ourselves with each other and we've grown I suppose more comfortable being around each other to be able to be our true selves. We are asking for feedback as we said Episode four will be, you know, around our reaction to the feedback and what went on. So if you've got feedback, you can email us at hummusndill at gmail.com. That's H-U-M-M-U-S-N-D-I-L-L at gmail.com. If you like what you hear, we have a service called Buy Me A Coffee. For the cost of a coffee, you can help us make a few more podcasts. Details are in the show notes. Thanks to everyone that has already contributed. So let's get back in time and listen to our third recording that took place on the 14th of January, 2024. I want to start with what I think I've done the last couple of ones, my appreciation for this process, because I think it it is so important with all the toxicity going on with the conflict in the Middle East that we have had a chat, a few chats, discussions, hung out, and I think there's been a spirit of real respect um, and I'd like to think of listening. How, how do you feel? Definitely uh, agree with that. And, you know, I think if that wasn't the case, we wouldn't be back here. You know, I think we would have pulled the plug on it a while back and that was always something we knew could happen. Uh, so I think definitely an appreciation for 
um, both our commitment to maintaining that respect and collegiality really mm. in, in the relation and maintaining um, a commitment to our initially stated objective, which is to listen, to understand, which is to listen, to just get to know each other better, that it's completely okay not to have the same perspectives. It's really more about just creating a space to hear that out. And I think dive deeper into the understanding of those perspectives as well, which is what we're hoping to do today. The other thing too is in, in I think related to us honoring each other and where we're at and the complexity of this. Um, again, you know, I've sort of really, I think I've tried to be really um, transparent about our process when we're chatting and so have you because it is largely around encouraging others to have this conversation and I think we're being open about what we've been doing to help at work and one of those things was recognising from both of us at the end of last year that we did need a break, mm. you know, that we needed a break from this conversation, from the topic, that it was a holiday season and we just needed to switch off a little bit, which I think is really important and worth uh, worth noting, uh, you know, to, to anyone who's listening to this that don't, you know, you don't dive into anything and just never stop to breathe and check in with yourself. Uh, so I think for me in, in the work that I do, I, I spend a lot of time talking about how do you hold space for yourself in a complex conversation whilst holding space for the other? Because I spend a lot of time talking to people who might divulge confronting sort of um, stories, I guess, and, and revelations about things that have gone on in their lives. And I wouldn't be human if I wasn't impacted by it. So mm -hmm. I think it's really important that we stay connected with ourselves in conversation with others and in relationship with others and hold space for ourselves and the other at the same time. And the minute you can't do that is a good time to stop. Uh, I look, I think it's very important. I have felt similarly, and maybe it's function as well of the end of the year and those kind of things, but I've also had it coupled with a bit of guilt because um, – I have the ability in Australia and Sydney to have a holiday and relax and not living in direct trauma. Even though we've stopped doing stuff, the war hasn't stopped. They didn't go, well, you know, let's have a couple of weeks off and we're not even talking ceasefire. The, the tragedy and the trauma on both sides is continuing. Yeah. Um, and so that, that, that was where my guilt was and it's also – been interesting because I work in the media to see how slowly it has dropped from the top story every day to second or third story. Sometimes it was a top story every now and then, but it is less in people's minds, I think, from a media perspective than it was previously. It's, I mean, it's coming back into uh, perspective because I think yesterday was the 100 days since October 7, so there was lots of acknowledgement. Um, but yeah, I mean, we haven't, uh, we have been very respectful of each other and I think part of it has been still getting to know each other. I don't mm. know, it's like wary of that getting into conflict over specific situations or words or something like that. But I still I still hold that thought that I'm going to give it my uh, best effort to listen to you and mm. listen to a different perspective and I hope it's, you know, the same the other way. Yes, look, absolutely. Um, you know, and I think just thinking about, just listening to you now, uh, you know, and I, I 
wanted to say, yeah, I feel guilty about having a break. I don't. Then I realized I didn't. I didn't have a break from the topic. Mm. I can't have a break from the topic. I think that's part of the thing too. And I, I think you'll relate to this. And I know what you mean by taking a break, so to speak. But when you've got family connections over there, and you, you, you know, in my case, I come from there. I never have a break from my mm. homeland. I never have a break from my identity. I never have a break from um, how the world sees me and responds to me. And and my awareness you know and i think i think this is where this is such a paradox in so many ways because as a jewish person you can relate to what i'm saying and at the same time right now i feel like the conflict is you know enacted like for me it's enacted by jews onto arabs but we have such similar experiences in the world like whether you feel under attack by the media or mm. mass society or whatever because of your identity. So, for example, um, in the time that we've been having a break, um, South Africa's, you know, raised the case against Israel, um, you know, standing they've, mm. they're committing a genocide. It's gone to the International Court of Justice. That's been aired, you know, since our last conversation. Um, and because you mentioned the media, uh, I was just, you know, reading this morning or yesterday not a single Western media outlet aired South Africa's commentary in the ICJ, but they every single one of them, 14 major Western media news outlets, aired Israel's commentary in the ICJ. So it's like these But are wasn't the, that the – like I saw the on the first day because it was over a couple of days. So the, I think South Africa presented on the first day and, and the Israel, Israel the second day. So I saw some stuff on, on the social South- media. Because, because Western – I'm talking about – Mainstream Western media outlets, mm. not a single one aired South Africa's claims, but all of them aired Israel. So in terms of we're talking about the media, because you said the media, mm. you know, it dropped. Um, and I think the media has to be mentioned here because we're, we're media. This is mm. media. Social media is, you know, sort mm. of its own thing. And, I, you know, and I guess I have a real issue with social media at the moment. W- one of the most amazing things is we wouldn't be seeing what's happening. Like we, we don't need... W- mainstream media and I in fact I haven't paid attention to mainstream media since I was about 18 Mm. but so I don't I read about what's going on in western media but I don't watch it Mm. and I don't I don't engage with it because I've long felt that it was designed to make people feel fear depression anxiety about the state of affairs and it's a bias and skewed view I've never felt represented but how's that different to social media's biased and skewed? And what I was going to say, mm. so social media has allowed us to see things that Western media is not airing. It's allowed people to just pick up their phones and mm. film stuff, which is, you know, a revolution really in, in news telling. And then there's then there's issues about what's fake news and what isn't. What I'm seeing in this war is both have learned um, a lot about psychological warfare and are mm. using social media to mess with everyone's minds. And that's the the cons that I want to talk about as well. And also the um, algorithm. So mm. I can't open my phone anymore. When I open my phone, everything's about Palestine. Mm. Like it's almost becoming traumatic. My phone is like, it's where Palestine lives. That is so damaging and irresponsible. You know, like I, I try to follow accounts about dogs that are cute mm. or whatever. Like I just want to see something other than Palestinians being murdered. And, and it just, I can't, like, whether it's LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, they're the three mm. that I use the most. You know, and then you like, I guess I've got WhatsApp, which is connection just with humans, but I can't see anything else anymore. As, as I enter into 2024 and I'm thinking about the year 
with my work and all the things, um, already at least two or three women have been murdered mm. in 2024 by their partners who are male. That's the focus of my work. I don't think family violence is separate to social forms of violence, including systemic racism, uh, government mm. oppressions, you know, all of those things. I think they're all intricately intertwined. But, you know, I sort of used to live in a world where I could focus on things and say that, but sort of, but now I can't even... So I don't even know how to enter the year of my work because everything is Palestine every time I open my phone. The greatest form of femicide that I can see right now is happening in Palestine. The greatest attacks on children in the world are, are happening, even those living in Israel. Like the children and civilians on both sides are so deeply impacted that, you know, it's, yeah, it's just so hard to... I feel like every time I talk about a form of violence that's going on anywhere, I have to mention that. I d I'm not, but mm. it, 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 no, it was, like the guilt you talk about. I just I don't know where to sit. You know? I, it's it's very challenging, and I I, I hear that, and I you know also uh, you know these phones that we they're not even phones. They're like these they're smart devices, and they're not always working for us. And you know as as you know, I'm a dog fan, and I want I'm missing I'm missing those dog videos as my core focus because I'm also getting probably equivalent to you, you know, what's going on in Israel and hostages and anti-Semitism in my phone every day across a range of mediums. I'm also, we're showing our generational stuff. I don't touch TikTok. Um, but besides that, it's, you know, Facebook, a little bit of Insta, lots of LinkedIn. And I also, I struggle when LinkedIn gets political because I've always had it as a just a professional space um, I've engaged a few times in social media rabbit holing where I've commented and then been attacked and it gets it, I've stopped doing that and I also have a range of WhatsApp groups which although they are you know I've got my personal people and family groups and things like that I'm also in sort of uh community WhatsApp groups and they range from you know from a Jewish perspective of from very far right through to very far left and mm. it's uh it's really interesting. There's one that I'm involved in, which is Jews in the creative industry and academics about how this war has affected their standing and how they've, you know, been victims of um, anti-Semitism and things like that. And as as well as people trying to do something positive in this space, but not really sure what to do. Mm. Um, so yeah, I, I, I yeah. hear you. I think it's a these phones, our relationship, the, the, the guilt for me was that I did watch the cricket and I did turn off. I had a really interesting experience where I was asked to uh, do a cross to Hong Kong radio, a music, you know, FM, smooth FM kind of vibe, just to talk about what New Year's Eve was right in Sydney. And the brief was, it's all positive. It's all FM radio. And, and I did that whilst the background going on, I don't feel positive. Yeah. So I was like, you know, here I am, Sydney Harbour, a million people, you know, celebrating 2024. Let's hope it's better than 2023. That was as negative as I got. Yeah. Kind of thing in th in 30 seconds, which is fine. That's that's, you know, that's yeah. music radio, but it's not the world that I'm living in. So maybe that maybe the guilt is about the mismatch between what's going on for me mm. in my head and what I'm doing in the world. So yeah. I try and swim every day in Sydney, which there's a thousand spots to do and it's great. Yeah, um, absolutely. And I hear you as well. You've got to look after yourself. You can't be doing the amazing work that you're doing if you're a mess. 
from 7th of October for the first two weeks, I was a mess. Mm. You know, I wanted to shut down my business and I was really struggling. And there was a video that I saw yesterday that friends shared on Instagram and, and it's titled Meet Lebanon. And it only started in 2006 and it just showed footage from 2006, which is a period of time that Israel bombed Lebanon for 34 days straight, to now, to January 2024. And you could go back to the 70s, you know, like as long as I've been alive, Lebanon's a country that something erupts, like we're talking massive bombing, Mm. you know, just sort of from various points. I know that some people, some Lebanese, particularly in the north, They've had worse experiences with Syria. There's been internal conflicts Mm. between factions in Lebanon. And then there's been those of us who have been impacted directly by Israel. So in my case, where I was born and what happened to me was was an impact by Israel. But um, you could go back longer than 2006. But it starts at 2006 and it shows that. And it shows the rebuilding and people partying Mm. and the beaches and all. Like, and it's just such an amazing place to be. And then, then, you know, something else erupts. And then people start partying. And then something else erupts. And people, like, all the way to January 24th. And, you know, mass destruction, like huge devastation, the, the economic crisis, all the, the protests that happened in 2019. And then, and I think that's impacted me, to be honest, like, because being born in Lebanon in this day and age, in, you know, my age group and, and on, like my parents probably, my parents got to see glory days, you know, mm. like they sadly got to see um, the, 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 the initial destruction. Coming from Lebanon means you live in the world with a constant fear, anxiety, and questions around what's going to happen in your home. Like, you don't mm. know what you're going to wake up to. When it's amazing, it's amazing. It's such a beautiful place to be. And when, and when it's destroyed, it's destroyed. I don't know what it's like to grow up in this world and not have that constant uncertainty and not have that constant need to manage and regulate my emotions mm. and my psychology and my way of being so I can do what I do you know like there are people and and this is just a, this is intellectual thought for me but mm. not something I can emotionally connect with there are people who are born in countries that are never that destroyed and live in the world feeling at peace and that is astounding to me like and a- astounding to even I can't even fathom what that's like and I want to live in a world where in the least we can all be that way we, and we've talked about mm. this right I, like for me, I, I worry so much about all the Joe Blows that are attacking each other on social media. Mm. Like, the, the I just feel like world leaders are so irresponsible, so irresponsible. Like we just need, we, we don't need to live in a world where this conflict can erupt anywhere and drag on for over 100 days, anywhere. No one's seeing any of the images, and I think you're right with the social media and the psychological manipulation that everyone is doing. It has to affect everyone. Mm. It, has, it, it, it has to. That's the whole point of it. I've mm. worked in marketing. When you work in marketing, when you're trying to sell a product or a service or something like that, the aim is to the, – the good adverts always engage with your emotions. So this is no – you know, people are using their those kind of skills, those storytelling skills for maybe good, maybe evil, maybe to manipulate. That's the bottom line. We are – I think people are – being manipulated and we've both got family involved directly in, mm. in, in in this conflict. If we go specifically to what's going on at the moment, say, for example, the South African... Can we of, just have a pause? Yeah, sure. You okay? Sorry, no. I'm not.
At this stage, Hala needed a break, but we were still recording. What's going on? I don't know. I'm just feeling it today. Okay. Yeah, just pause for a bit. Um, Is it, what, what do you reckon? Is it just not, you finding it too hard to talk about or? Yeah, I don't know. Just having like, just a flush of, um, I wonder whether just for my sake right now or as part of the recording, we, I, I just need to, I need another positive spin somehow on this. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Are you, are like, you, are you questioning the pro, what we're I, doing? Just, just talking about the heaviness of it is getting a bit too heavy for me to carry. Yeah. Okay. So, so, and I think, um, Sorry to have interrupted you. No, 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 no. I, I mean, um, ha- yeah, ha- I just ha- think ha- that ha- might be the case for people listening as well. I don't know, but it's just it's. Um... I think Pete. I think it could be. What, what do you think that's about the? Like for people li- listening, do you, do you, do you think it's because we're taught like we're not directly talking about specifics, or do you think it's because? No, I think I think um, diving into the specifics, which we want to do, is gonna make it too hard. Uh, like, I, I just want to be. Um, I just want to think about how we do it because, yeah, I haven't. Yeah, I've been. I've just sort of woken up with this feeling today that I haven't had for a while, mm. and I don't really want to tip myself. Over the edge. Okay, I um, completely respect yeah. and the the whole the whole thing. And I remember I said very early on, if at worst this turns into nothing, we've had some great chats. So don't let's lo- the stakes are low. Okay, let's yeah. let, let's completely lower the stakes. Yeah, you've got to look after yourself primarily. Yeah, yeah. And you are, yeah. you know. I mean, look, I, I I think we can we can try to come. But like, what were you going to say about the ICJ? Oh, I was just, um, I'm so upset by it because it's like, essentially what's gone is Iran has helped South Africa pay a few debts to fund it. And this is the quid pro quo in the background is that South Africa launches it. And I've got connection. I've lived in South Africa and I've seen stuff from there going on, which is so even more toxic towards anyone Jewish there. I mean, again, we could do that whole relationship between uh, settlers and calling every Israeli a settler. Um, I was going to talk about, you know, being, say, white. Mm. Like, um, it's, I find it funny that I'm constantly, the Jews are renowned as white. The far right don't call us, don't accept us as white, and the far left call us white. And I don't even look white most in summer kind of thing. It's the, but that's that's just talking around semantics and the whole political stuff. It's not important to how you're feeling at the moment. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I like no, I'm just f- thinking about like uh, whether like there are so many ways we can have this conversation, and I'm just I I kind of want to having it in a way like I I want to pick myself up. I'm I'm a very empathic person. Mm. I feel like I. I feel the energy of people and I, I connect with the emotions. Mm. And I think I've been connecting with something that's stronger and more positive over the last couple of months. But just in the last few days, I think I'm I'm connecting with despair and I'm connecting with the pain and the suffering. And I mean, I, I get it. 
while I have, uh, I've said this to you, my, I, I'm, I am a Zionist, but I'm very left. Um, so being a left Zionist is quite hard because there's a lot of community line stuff that you don't agree with all of it. And I am seeing all the horror in Gaza. I am seeing, like, you know, I don't justify, you know, kids and civilians being killed. I don't know the answer to what to, mm. you know, when military, like, I'm, yeah. we're, not, we're not talking st military strategy, but when they have, you know, military infrastructure under a hospital, like that, like... The, 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 Which, you know, again, is, is um, debatable. Like, it, the evidence, there, there, there were official statements coming out that said there was absolutely no evidence of tunnels under Al-Shifa Hospital. For example, yeah, I mean, like so, it's mm. it's sort of, and I think regardless, like um, it isn't. It, it, even in the rule books of war, you can't attack a hospital, even if there is a military base in it. You not not when you know there's civilians in there. Like it's it's still breaching the rules of war, right? Like, uh, to uh, uh, to have attacked any, you know. I think. Look, I think for me, I woke up this morning and I was thinking of you because I was going to come here and talk mm. to you, and I thought. You asked me in another episode, what would I do if I was a leader of Israel? And I just thought that's actually, um, you know, I gave you a long answer for that. Mm. But but the bigger question for me is what would I do if I was a Jew? Yeah. I was thinking, yeah, what would I, what kind of Jew would I be? And I like just sort of, I can only connect with who I am now. Mm. I'd have to like sort of exactly how I am and how I've lived my life, move myself over to being a Jewish person. And I think I'd be a member of Jewish Voices for Peace, you mm. know, because I feel offended on behalf of Jews for what – that's how I felt this morning. I feel offended on behalf of Jews for what the state of Israel has become. Mm -hmm. I can totally understand historically Jewish people feeling the need to have a safe home, a place to go and live, a place to be Jewish, you know, and like, like the way Muslims want to live in an Islamic state. Mm -hmm. You know, as a Christian, I sort of get the benefit of most countries being primarily Christian-based. Mm -hmm. I don't feel represented by Western Christianity at all. And in fact, Western Christianity is bent on denying the existence of Christians in the East. And mm. even in this conflict, it's showing that. It's you know presented often as a Jews versus Muslims thing. Mm. It's like, but Jesus was born there. So there is such a denial of Christians in the East by everyone that I don't by no means feel represented. But more or less, you know, mm. I don't, I don't, I live in countries where like, Christmas is the holiday, you know, it's sort of Easter's the holiday. It's not my Easter, but yeah, it's yeah. fine. Like, again, it doesn't, it's not. So I, I woke up thinking, yeah, totally get wanting to have a Jewish state, wanting to live in peace, mm. wanting to not have another Holocaust happen, you know, the genocide that was experienced. And then I just thought, but the people who started that, you know, it'd be like, it'd be like if, if all Islamic states in the world were ISIS run, mm. or this is my view or all Christian states in the world were KKK run. Like mm. that for me is, and this may, I don't intend to offend you because you call yourself a Zionist, but for me, Zionism is that. Okay. It's it's hijacking Judaism, which I've learned more and more about Judaism in the last few years than I had in my life. And I don't know everything, but it's a it's a beautiful spiritual belief. It's It's a faith. You know, and there's so many beautiful elements of, of Judaism. Christianity comes directly from Judaism. And as an Eastern Christian, I know that better than most Western mm -hmm. Christians because it's cultural. Like, I grew up with that. And I think that's why I can – so I feel like the the Middle Eastern Jews are my cousins. Like, we're mm. so alike that I just feel offended, actually, that the one state that was created to keep Jews safe is 
intent on doing so by murdering others and intent on actually creating a lack of safety for Jews. What Jews are craving, they're not getting because of the way it's been run. Mm. I, th I think I agree with a lot of what you say about where Israel is at the moment. And mm. it's, a real, it's a real challenge. It's, it's like a flaw in democracy because Netanyahu does not represent me. Okay, I, mm. don't, I don't connect with him as a leader of the Jewish world. A couple of things. I, I mean, to me, Judaism is more than a religion. It's a people. We are a people. Like we are, it's, it's, we happen, and you know, from a belief point of view, I vacillate in my actual Judaism. I've had, you know, some positive and negative experiences and there's a range of different sorts of Jews around mm. the world, but the connection is that we're all Jewish. But coming back to Netanyahu, it's uh, the floor of democracy is that he he's broadly on the right wing and because of the nature of that democracy he's there are some people that are far right that i think are abhorrent that have a ridiculous amount of influence on him and also he's trying desperately to stay in power so he doesn't go to jail and that's why everyone's been on the streets in the democracy protesting mm. against him israel and it, it, i know we spoke earlier that you'd want to you know part of you wants to go to Israel and a big part of you is scared of going to Israel. There's a big chunk of Israel which you would love. Tel Aviv is like one of the funkiest places in the world. It's been, it's like amazing, diverse people. Like, like you know, I, 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 know, I know you would enjoy it, but there's also parts of Israel like where the settlers are, um, the illegal settlements and things like that. I think it's abhorrent. I'm against mm. it. I, I, I can see historically why the right are in power now. It's because essentially the left failed to deliver peace, which is over the years what they've promised. And the left in Israel at the moment is pretty decimated. The effect of this war has unfortunately been to unite the country in a way that is focused on a fear of survival. So what's going on in Gaza is you, you, it's portrayed as murder by you, and I get why you say that. I don't... I think genuinely the people going there are kids in an army who are trying to get rid of Hamas because they feel like Hamas is you know, the root of all the evil kind of thing. So they're focused on the narrow, on the short-term stuff, what happened on October 7 and all that kind of stuff. <sighs> what, yeah. go what goes on? I don't, dis I don't disagree with that. Uh, no, no, well, th this I is think they're possibly being given drugs. The, um, the army? yeah. Maybe uh, I mean we have they have throughout history like a lot of a lot of drugs were invented because of armies. Um, I mean, whether I have, they were or weren't, it doesn't really matter. I definitely see them as being brainwashed. I, th I think the, the the thing of the army is your it becomes like a football team with guns yeah. kind of thing. You do anything 100%. for your for your mates. I mean, I've got yeah. I've spoken to people. I've got family in Gar that have been in Gaza it becomes a bit of a first-player video game for them in a way, which yeah. is the only way you could do it. Well, exactly. You, you know, it's dehumanising. And, and the, sa know. the same way, I don't know, you know, with the stuff that went on October 7 and we could talk about, did, you know, what levels of it happened and didn't and there's all sorts of controversies and things about how much of it did happen. But it did, you know, it did happen. There was violence against women. There were lots mm. of people murdered. Let's not talk about details of it there's enough footage of it and there were in that situation there were drugs involved you know as in the 
the Hamas. On both sides. On both. Like, wasn't there a dance party? Well, it was a dance party. <laughs> well, Everybody's I, on drugs these well, days. <laughs> I mean, as I said to you, my daughter was there three weeks earlier looking mm. for a dance party. I would have said go. I wouldn't have said take drugs. Kids don't do that. But, yeah, but um, they do. They do. She yeah. would, and, you know, we know people. That's different, though, taking drugs to go to a dance party and taking drugs to, to kill pe- people. Like, was, or being given, you know, so drugs do. And it was a peace dance party. That, that's, yeah. You know, so, th- I mean, the, these well, are. Well, can you have a peace dance party on? Occupied lands. Well, if you don't view it as occupied land. Yeah. So do you know what I Can yeah. you have a peace party in Australia if you view Australia as occupied land? I mean, look at us all the time in Australia having all these, um, you know, conversations about treaty, um, celebrating blackness, NADOC week, all these things. And we still haven't changed the date of invasion. We still celebrate our national day on the day of invasion. Like, there are hypocrisies. There are contradictions all the time. And I, I do sort of have... Uh, a level of patience for that because I, I I understand the ways in which people's minds think differently and wanting to celebrate things we're proud of in terms mm. of what Australia is today, being it being part of a white Australia. I can understand that a lot of people want to celebrate all the things that are good. A lot of migrants want to celebrate that because they came here from conflict zones. Absolutely. Found peace because, you know, and, they, and they'll say to you, we found peace here because there's a white system here, not because there's an... Ab- but you don't know what you would have found had it been left to be Aboriginal land. My experience of First Nations in Australia is they're the most welcoming, hospitable, warm, generous, kind-hearted people I've ever met in my entire life. Mm. So, you know, and the reason we had to flee conflict and come here or economic crap or whatever is because of white colonization of the world. Like the last 500 Mm. years, that's what's run the world. So, you know, it's kind of, I I get all that. I understand wanting to celebrate and I don't deny all the great things that exist in Australia. Most First Nations I've spoken to don't deny the great things that Mm. white Europeans brought to Australia. But that doesn't mean they want to accept their own murder and their own oppression and their own and and they definitely, uh, with you know, I for me it's like it is offensive to celebrate the day of invasion as our national day holiday. I completely get that. I um, it you I, know it's sort of like where, yeah when when will the world truly be able to celebrate the independence of peoples and nations? I had an interesting experience. I lived a year in South Africa in ninety seven. And at the time when I was there, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission was on, which basically put perpetrators of violence with victims of violence in a discussion and it was recorded. It was a pretty – so it was an amazing experience. And I one time was driving to a uh, theatre festival, so it was like a 12-hour drive, and we were listening silently with my partner – and hearing victims talk directly, asking for forgiveness, uh, you know, perpetrators of violence asking for forgiveness and putting them together. It's very easy to, you know, I could, I, for both of us say we can talk stats and history and things like that without it, talk, without it being real people. The tragedy of this war is, like all wars, there will be winners and losers kind of thing, but the, all the losers are just people that just want to live and get up in the morning... If you're listening to this and want us to keep making podcasts, you can either use the Buy Me A Coffee service, details in the show notes, or if you want to sponsor the series, you can email us at homelessandilled at gmail.com. Now let's get back to our chat from January 14th, 2024. I'm thinking about, you know, my my, my greatest struggle today with this topic um, 
what's been keeping me floating and mm. what's been keeping me more positive in the last couple of months. A, a particular realization, it's like really interesting how social media, like connecting with the world at that surface level and social media can really disconnect us from our spirits. You know, mm. that's what I think in general. And this conflict is really shining a light on that uh, for me, but also shining a light on the spiritual forms. You know, I think we talked about light and darkness at mm. one point. So one of the um, one of the things that's helped me continue is seeing the broader picture, seeing that there is a spiritual existence that we're all a part of. We're on this journey. We're all just, I just see the human race as so lost and confused mm. and so off track with our core, our inherent beings as um, beings of light and as being created by love. Today, going into the details of the conflict might be too hard for me, but also I don't know. I, that's where we get lost. We start going into the nitty gritties and we forget, you know, sort of imagine if we, we kind of went, well, we can have so many different conversations, but what's been keeping me afloat is this thought that this is shit hitting the fan. Mm -hmm for the sake of humanity having a spiritual awakening. And so are you thinking this con like this conflict could be like a spark for people to become more spiritual? And or? it didn't need to be this conflict. It could have been anything. Mm. I think a climate crisis is already at mm. bay and will escalate. You know, and I think I I actually have felt since 2020 that we're going to live through a bit of a difficult time mm. as humans because we got to ahead of ourselves we got too egocentric in our existence we got too caught up in our cognitive intellect and we forgot you know the heart we forgot the soul we forgot mm. you know our, our um how to how to just be in the world how to be at peace how to collaborate i mean my, my take on things is something happened before that i'll talk about australia okay and australia that i grew up with as a kid i always felt that we are a very, they call it the lucky country, we're, we're mm. blessed with a whole lot of things that have nothing to do with, you know, people. And it was our job to put make the world a better place kind of thing. And something flipped to to people focusing on what's in it for me. And, mm. I, and I, I really do believe that, you know, we should be able, Australia should be, and this is actually, it's always sat with my Judaism. There's a state, there's a thing in Judaism called tikkun olam, which is make the world a better place. Mm. And that's always been my relationship with Judaism. Like leave, it's like, you know, make sure you leave the beach with the same way that you brought it yeah. with kind of thing, but more so make it a better place. And I feel like that's the luxury of Australia is that we should be, we should be altruistic. We should be trying to make the world a better place and, at the moment, bringing it back to Australia, because that's where we are at the moment, I think something changed maybe in the 90s or something where it's all about what's in it for me, what, how, how can I best profit from things? Like yeah. you talk, and it can be everything. It can be from cost of living. It could be housing crisis. Why is there a housing crisis? Because people have got investment properties, and that's fine, mm. except when you call it an investment property, it's not talking about people living there. It's like an investment in a stock exchange, which is, you know, or in a bank or something like that. Yeah. But when you talk about you actually providing a roof for people to live in and then abusing that privilege of your wealth 
that's causing a housing crisis, which is causing absolute you know, grief for thousands of people in Australia. Now, obviously, it's a very first world problem, that. But that's what I'm saying. It's like there's a, there's a philosophy at the moment which is what's in it for me. And my, yeah. I would like to think of people as good at their core and wanting to help each other, but I'm not seeing a lot of it. So I hear you with this yeah, you know, tough yeah. times. Well, I think we've forgotten, you know, I, I, saw, I, you know, I don't love watching documentaries about the animal kingdom because I really don't like watching them hunting and killing each other. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I know it's natural. And, you know, and I, but, I, but when I did recently watch a couple when I was in Melbourne and every time I watch the animal kingdom, I just see the human race reflected in it. Mm. And one of the one of our delusions is, you know, we want to tell ourselves we're not animals, and we are. We're mammals, and we're pack animals by mm. by virtue. So, one of the things we've done throughout through the through the systems and societies we've created is create a delusion that we are individualistic, and. So, you know, everyone's talking about even self-care and mm. put yourself first. Like I, like I think I think it's been growing since the 50s, uh, certainly centralising economic growth, uh, you know, being, being the value of everything is mm. economy, whereas it used to be something else in the past. But, but I, so you said the 90s and I think, yeah, there's something that happened, like it, it escalated or it grew or there was a new marketing scheme or something where we were all encouraged to look after ourselves, put yourself first, you know, what's in it for me? Like all those statements are so individualistic and they were presented in a way like that it was positive. Mm. That Because often when, when you're talking about feeling a bit tired from looking up, looking after other people or being mm. with other people or whatever, that's when someone says, oh, you put yourself first. And there's this idea that if you put yourself first, it's somehow healthy. Like if you take care of you and not others, mm. that's healthier. And it really isn't. How like, how can I possibly be looked after if I'm not seeing myself as part of a collective? And mm. the collective needs to be healthy for me to be healthy. Mm. So, yeah, it's not about bending over backwards for people or sort of allowing those who suck energy to suck your energy or anything like that. Like drawing boundaries is great and respecting people's boundaries, even more important. Um, but that's within, for me, it's always within the concept of continuing to relate with others and understanding that we all need to be okay together mm. for for us for any one of us to be okay you know so in this conflict i look i look to my circles i look when i've been feeling strong i've reached out to lift others up you know when when i've noticed that they were draining and mm. noticing how i'm feeling today i might i might reach out to mm. some people and say i'm actually like crashing today have you got something for me, you know, <laughs> to yeah. lift me up? Because we're not we're not going to get through this on our own. And don't, but don't you think it's things like not just what obviously what we're doing, but other people like trying to work with some things together. I mean, I've seen some stuff in Israel where is Israeli Arabs and Israelis are getting together and talking through things and having yeah actually. I was referred to someone that was like a similar dialogue to us, which was not trying to change opinions or anything like that, but just having a dialogue and recognising each other's pain mm. as a first step towards empathy and living together. Because, fuck, these guys in Israel and Gaza and West Bank and Lebanon and Jordan and Egypt, they've got to live together. Like, it seems so, like, they've got to work out a way of working, uh, of cohabitating. It's like it's you can you can say who should live there and who should live wherever, 
But to me, it's obvious that everyone's got to somehow work a way of living together. Mm. It feels like maybe the animal analogy and maybe I've gone down a negative pathway, but maybe we are just animals and it's just, you know, different different tribes taking ownership at various different times. But it's, I feel like it's as obvious as dog's balls to bring it back to animals that they sh- they've got to work out a way of living together and they have... They have on and off for centuries lived mm. together. Yeah. And I'm, when I'm teaching, when you're running a class of 30 people, there's a there's like a sweet spot of if the class will work and if there are like I think eight or nine unruly kids, that overtakes the whole vibe of, of the class. And I feel like that's what's going on at the moment. There's The percentage of bad actors is too high. I, I agree and I, th- I think it's easy to fall into a bit of a victim mentality mm. and helplessness and that can create a passive sort of way of being in the world. Like I just want to, just want to buy my groceries and go to the, my sports games and mm. just you know live my life happily. Like, I've got nothing to do with this conflict. It's like, okay, but the conflict is there, whatever it is, right? You know. So when you say the bad apples of high numbers and they've taken mm. over, we can't afford to be passive. We mm. can't afford to be separate. Well, we can't afford to be passive. We actually have to proactively get involved. This is where I think the spiritual awakening is coming slowly in various ways. I don't know how. And and that's that's my hope, you know, because otherwise you know, the other option is is quite bleak. Well, it's and it, yeah. and potential, but you know, and I think it, it is about so so I'll give you a personal example of of the kind of internal work I'm thinking about that I do believe everyone has to do. As we've mentioned, I was born in Lebanon. I grew up there. I came here when I was nine years old. My village was wiped out by Israel in 1981, like end of it, start of 1982. My grandfather was murdered in that conflict. It's a trauma my family's lived with. My aunties observed it. They were hit by shrapnel. One of my aunties almost died. So it's a trauma that's very much close. You know, it's not sort of ancestral or anything. Mm -hmm. It's direct. Without noticing, until I was about 15, when I was 15, year 10 in high school, we read the Book of Ali. And I realized in reading the Book of Ali that I did just hate Jews. Like, it was sort of, I had no positive experience of Jews my entire life. Mm. And I hadn't really thought about it. It wasn't conscious to my mind. It was just, Jews are bad. They've destroyed mm. my country and, and, you know, some of my family and, and therefore... Jews are bad. I had Jewish friends mm-hmm. in school, but it was like, that's the thing. Until you become consciously and cognitively aware, you don't know what you know and what you think and where mm. it came from, all those things. So I read the Book of Valley and I'd never really understood what it happened. I'd never, I didn't know about the Holocaust before that, right? So I'm 15. It's mm-hmm. pretty young. And I was talking to my mum and my sister about it because they'd read it the year before when my mm. sister read it for high school and my mum read it with her. And, and I said, these people went through a lot. Mm. They were like, yeah, it's pretty bad. And I was like, I can't just hate Jews just because they're Jewish. Mm. I was so impacted Mm. by reading the story and thinking, okay, like different people have suffered and whatever Israel's done that's impacted me is is a thing. And since then I've been anti-Zionist and anti the state of Israel, Mm. like I am anti a lot of governments Mm. who inflict pain on people, but not anti-Jewish. And I remember getting to the the last page. I was feeling so sad, Mm, the whole book. 
And I remember getting to the last page and last couple of pages where Ali talks about how from that point on the Jewish identity took on a new form and she's no longer, I think she was Czech or Austrian and she no longer feels that, she feels Jewish. And, and, and I understood why Jewish people formed that identity after the Holocaust. And on the very last, they had lost her brother. Her brother had been, you know, and then, and then they found him and he comes off and she describes how he was skin and bone and mm. whatever and spent a couple of months and he recovered. And on the very last page of the book, her brother gets on a boat to go to Palestine and fight the Arabs. Mm. That is so conflicting for me, you know. I felt so conflicted. Like how do you go through that much pain and suffering and then jump on a boat and inflict the same pain and suffering to other people who didn't cause your pain and suffering? And I didn't, I didn't go back to hating Jews. I still, from that day, I did so much internal work. Like, I'm talking, I had to fight with some family members over this, mm. right? And I imagine there'd be a lot of Zionist Jews in the world who might have a realization that go, hang on, we can't just hate the Arabs. They're not all trying to kill us. Mm. It's not true that, you know, like, there's a lot of propaganda out there would actually have conflicts with their families mm. over. And I think you've mentioned that before. But it's willing to stand in that. It's willing to go... I will formulate my own opinions and I will formulate my own views and I will I will create my own perspectives in the world based on the information that I will gather. I will actively gather information because I've just been exposed to something that made me think perhaps there's more to the story. Mm. So whilst I was confronted by her brother jumping on the boat and going to Palestine because I know what happened next, mm -hmm. And I don't know what role he played. It's a true story. Mm -hmm. Like, so I don't know what role he ended up playing. I know that I, from that moment on, read books. Back then you read books. <laughs> uh, they're like printed up emails, aren't they? Yeah. Yes. I read books from, written by all sides. I read articles. I watched documentaries. I spoke to humans, mm. like all types of humans. I went to Melbourne Uni. I might have mentioned that already. I, You know, it's almost 50% Jewish population at Melbourne Uni. I had so many Jewish friends. Probably like, a high percentage of that, but yeah. It, mm. it, yeah, almost. Like it's, it's, it's a very high percentage. And, mm. um, you know, and I remember sitting in a lecture theatre one, one day with, with someone that I was really close to and she looked really upset. It was like a few, we were early, we were waiting for the lecture to start and she was quite upset and I said, what's wrong? And she said, well, I was born in Israel and I was two months old when we came to Australia, but because I was born there, there requesting me for the army mm. and she's trying to get out of it mm. she didn't want to go to the army blah, blah blah and I thought what a thing to have to live with like mm. even if I mean it's the only country in the world where women also have to serve mm. and so as a woman I've never sort of had to live with the idea that I might have to serve in the, in the army anywhere had I been a boy because I'm outside of Lebanon they're, they're not going to conscript like I'm not mm. going to be asked to go and surf because I don't live there. But if I go back, I would have to. Mm. So I, anyway, I was I was empathizing with her. Like she seemed really upset about it, really didn't want to go. Her father was trying to help her get out of it. And then she said, it's really hard for me to get out of this because of who my uncle was. And I was like, who was your uncle? And she just paused. She said, oh, no, let's, let's change the topic. And I said, well, like, I don't know. I need to know now. And her uncle was a very intelligent mathematician and physics physicist. And his role in the army in the 80s was to calculate where the bombs were going to land in Lebanon. Like these, these are conversations I've had in my life. And we just, she told me that. And I knew she knew the weight of that. Mm. And we just sat in silence for about five minutes and just kind of 
let, let that it settle. go. Yeah. And we continue to be friends. So this is the life I've lived. And it takes effort and work all the time to, to have. And this is one of many conversations that I'm are very sure. similar that I've had in my life. And it is hard work. So, so I understand why a lot of people don't do it. It's a lot easier. I think it, when we've been chatting offline, we've talked about echo chambers. It is so easy yeah. to sit in echo chambers. I think echo chambers are important for us to refuel, re-energize, mm. just be with our people. Mm. But we've got to come out of the echo chamber. We've got to see what mm. else. You know, we talked about the mirror ball in mm. another episode. I have to know what you're looking at if I'm going to create peace with you. I have to know what... Your angle is, you need to know what my angle Absolutely. is. And then what you tell me is going to trigger things in me. And I need to have the resources to sit with that. Uh, you know, and it might take time. Like, I feel like after today's conversation, I'm going to need a bit of grounding and yeah. healing. And it's not yeah. you. It's just the whole conflict that's well, just getting it, it, to me you, today. You know what? For, firstly, thank you for sharing that. A, a personal harrowing thing, I think this phrase transgenerational trauma well it's your gener in a way you know it's directly affected you my my stuff's a generation ago but it actually becomes part of your dna it's mm. who you are and you need to proactively think about where you're coming from and why you're coming from and why you have certain positions and also try and see that other people have got valid and equivalent situations and also I don't know, some, somehow not be overwhelmed by it all because if we were to look at all the stuff in the world and we touched on stuff, you know, poverty, the environment, thousands of conflicts, not just this one around the world, you actually could be overwhelmed to doing nothing. Like you've still got to live, you've still got to go, yeah. you, you've, you know, you've still, you've still got to uh, vacuum your room, you know. You're <laughs> like, there's still like... Yeah, absolutely. So... So again, thank you, thank you for sharing that personal story. I mean, and you know, I know you've got lots of them, and that you grapple with things all the time. I can't imagine what it's like to sit with someone who's related to someone that may have actually caused all the grief, you know, that's shaped your family. We are all people. We're all skin and bone. We're all, you know, just biological beings. Dare I say it, animals. Just to yeah. tie, tie it back, but how how we reconcile it and how we make a difference, and that, that's that's been the thing that I've always wanted to do. Somehow make a difference is challenging. You know, and I think those stories are really they're way more powerful than you know we're kind of saying them. But you've talked about passing as an Arab. You know, we talked mm. about going to protest together. Like I'll mm. be Hannah, you'll be you could be mm. Abdul or something else. These are the moments that help me to understand that we are we are the same mm. you know that you and I are actually the same person that your pain is my pain and my pain is your pain because I could be you and you could be me but and this is what's missing in this conflict I think yeah I think it's easy to see people you know, doing press conferences and releasing videos and showing videos of rockets and mm. you know pictures of like it's nearly dehumanizing when you show when you see these horrible images of people yeah. which is a contradiction i know but but you become numb to it I've, we've seen such horrible images that it actually it's like and then and then we go and this is gaza and next real estate prices in melbourne are going up you know it's like it's all part of this information social media all thrown at us all the time mm. so coping is hard um and then 
this is where the Jewish guilt or anyone's guilt kicks in. It's like, it's not that hard here. I, uh, I get a sore throat, I get Medicare, I go and get it fixed, you know. Yeah. I'm not worried that the hospital doesn't exist. Yeah, that's right. For me, this is one of the, this is a central, this is an essential point for creating peace is that we see ourselves in each other. Mm. And I do see that people who are attached to racist ideologies quite strongly can't do that. No. Really can't see themselves as the other. Dehumanise the other, whoever the other is, um, and therefore justify any 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 negative sentiments they might have towards them or any negative mm. action they want to take towards that person. Not thinking that if I do that to you, I'm doing it to myself. That phrase is a profound phrase. I didn't make it up, mm. right? It's a phrase that I encourage people to really sit with and think about what that mm. means. If I do that to you, I'm doing it to myself. And if I accept it for you, I accept it for myself. I mean, yeah, I think if we can, maybe we, that's where we leave things for today. Yeah. Carla, I don't know. Because I've lifted up again. <laughs> no, no, no. We can, I mean, Let's I can, not plummet me back down into the No, no, I agree. <laughs> We hope you enjoyed episode three of Hummus and Dills. Stay tuned for episode four, the final one of this series. And just a reminder, if you like what you're hearing, you can use a service called Buy Me A Coffee. For the cost of a coffee, you can help us make a few more podcasts. The Hummus and Dill podcast is available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. In fact, it's available at other places. So if you Google us, you'll find us. If you have any feedback, again, we really value it. We've learned so much from the process, not just talking to each other, but also hearing how it's impacting you out there. And we will be factoring all of that into our next and final episode in this series. So please send us the feedback to homelessanddeal at gmail.com.